0: hear us through your airpods or see us on your laptop how about meeting us in real life because we're taking queer money on the road this summer and fall visit queermoneypodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood
1: happy new year (laughs) let me ask you a question where can a queer person live in retirement that's affordable and also unabashedly lgbtq friendly This was a question we got in the Queer Money Facebook group because, let's face it, most super queer-friendly cities and towns in the U.S. are expensive and will quickly eat up all of our retirement dollars. Well, that's the topic of today's Queer Money episode number 295. Today, we interview Jim and Lou, a retired gay couple who, even during the pandemic, are mostly living outside the U.S. to spread their retirement dollars further and to always feel comfortable, safe, and welcome. If you're not sure where you want to retire or are already daydreaming about retirement, you're going to love this episode. We make the Queer Money Podcast for you. So just like with this question today, post your money question in the Queer Money Facebook group. And we may answer your question in an upcoming episode. Now let's get on with the show.
0: There's personal finance for the masses. This is not personal finance for the masses. This is Queer Money.
1: Queer Money is made possible by Capital One. Capital One believes that financial well-being includes your mental, physical, and financial health. Check out CapitalOne.com today. Gainbridge sponsors the best, including the Indiana Pacers, Indiana Fever, Indiana 500, and the Queer Money Podcast. That's because Gainbridge believes dedication is
0: an essential component of
1: success in every community. Visit Gainbridge.life
0: today. Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of Queer Money. As you may have noticed towards the end of 2021, John and I have started to cover a lot more topics around financial independence, retiring early, and folks in the queer community who are in that space. We wanted to try to tell more stories of folks who are living a lifestyle outside the norm of what a lot of folks think is the right, quote-unquote, right way to live, right? Uh, When it comes to our finances, when it comes to where we live, when it comes to how we live our lives. And so we're going to continue that here in 2022. And so in order to do that, we wanted to bring some folks from inside the personal finance community and folks who are outside the personal finance community who are doing this with their lives. So today, we're going to introduce you to James and Lou. And Lou and James, why don't you start off by telling us where you're at right now and what your lifestyle is looking like right
2: now? We are currently in Palm Springs, California. We've been on the road for last probably six weeks. Then headed to Puerto Vallarta for a couple of weeks, back to California for Thanksgiving and then the East Coast and headed back to Europe early January, where we have an apartment in Sichas, Spain. Nice.
0: Well, I think all the folks who listen to this podcast know how much John and I like c yeah, So Yeah, that made me a little sad yes. that you're going back and I'm not. <laughs> we definitely want to get back there. We love that area. Life's not fair. Right. <laughs> so let me ask you, do you both kind of define yourself as individuals who have reached financial independence and
2: retired early? I would say so. I think ironically enough, we were already... FI before we even discovered the fire movement. So we had already been saving and maxing out our 401ks and investing in real estate and doing all these different things before we even really knew what fire was. And, you know, I looked at any of the blogs and, you know, read any of the books on fire. But then once we started investigating it, we're like, Oh, well, this philosophy is interesting more than just trying to get us to a savings, but a change in your mentality of how you save and spend. Awesome. I think there's going to be a
1: lot to dive into that. How long ago would you say that you officially retired?
2: Well, we quit. I quit my job December 20th of 19. And Jim quit right after that in February. So Basically, been a couple years, but we were really we were already fire. We just didn't, you know, we were fire because we didn't know what that meant, to be Mm -hmm. honest. And that was another thing the fire community kind of gave us was this idea of okay, well, you can do this simple math and see if you're on track to, you know, retire early and to be financially independent. Whereas we didn't have that before, we didn't know what. A number was, or how you could be safe and be retired early.
0: Mm-hmm. It is interesting. Before you said it, kind of a mental shift in the way you look at money and how you spend. And I think that's that's the struggle that a lot of folks have, right, when they think about this idea of becoming financially independent and retiring early, as they they don't necessarily understand or know much about or have investigated much about what that kind of mental shift is like. What does it take to get there?
1: So I'm curious, what kind of mental shift did it take for you? Were you always sort of fiscally responsible, always investing as much as you could and spending less than you made? Or was there some sort of a a transition for the two of you?
3: I'll go into this one, I guess. Um, This is Jim. Well, Lou and I have been together 12 years and I think both of us went into the relationship being kind of good savers and responsible with money. So there wasn't a big struggle with that. And I think we both going back always wanted to retire early from our jobs. So,
0: so you had yeah. kind of had this forethought. How did you, I guess, maybe disengage or maybe separate yourselves? with that kind of mental shift from what we see a lot of folks, especially gay men doing, and that is kind of this carpe diem. I'm going to get all I can out of life. And sometimes that means spending every last penny that I make or even more. How did that happen for you? Is Was there something before in life that kind of prepared you for that? Or did you have, as John and I had, a kind of a smack in the face
2: aha moment that got us to, to wake up about where we were headed financially? I think that gay people in particular have this kind of notion that they need to somewhat appear different than they are and, you know, wear fancier clothes than they can afford and drive fancier cars that they can afford and fall into this kind of lifestyle creep of just competing with other people. And I think that that's one of the things when you Really delve into a lot of the fire people that they do live a simpler life. And it's not so much about the things they have, but more about experiences and, you know, the life that they want to lead and having freedom and not just having a fancy car in the driveway. We also traveled a
3: lot during, you know, our time be- while we were working. So we got to experience like being outside the country and, What it was like to um, not live in the us and i think we both kind of yearned to do that and the other thing like my job was just this very stressful job that i wasn't enjoying so i really wanted to get to the point where you know we were young enough to be able to retire and enjoy our lives a little bit more (laughs) I
0: think that's a a struggle that a lot of folks have is the, they, you enjoy the travel, you enjoy the, the, the nicer things that you've had in life and you want more of that. And then it, it comes down to the choice of, do I want to do that now? Or do I want to do that? More often later, Mm -hmm. and that's kind of the the question that John and I always had when we were paying off our debt was, do we want the margarita now or do we want the margarita on the beach in Puerto Vallarta, right? (laughs) Puerto Vallarta, (laughs) (laughs) the baby, right? Exactly. So let me ask you, when you look at your lifestyle right now. How do you define the kind of fire, maybe the type of fire that you fit into? And folks, if you haven't gone back and listened to episode 285, we kind of map out or outline the seven different kind of flavors of fire that John and I believe that there are. But maybe James and Lou, I'll let you go ahead and and share with us.
2: I mean, we actually just listened to that episode that you're describing, I would say that of all these fires, we're probably closest to the number three, the financial independence retire investor. But some of the definitions are odd about fire because it's just kind of like one, like fat fire, for example, to me, already defines someone who's already there. So it's kind of the end result rather than getting there, the road to there. But for us, we started investing in real estate. And bought some fixer houses and lived in them for two years and then flipped them so we wouldn't have to pay capital gains. That's why we lived there for two years and then we bought another one and did the same thing. And we bought an investment property and then rented out as an Airbnb. So we did a lot of stuff even while we were working in the real estate realm and then did, you know, the Airbnb rentals and things like that. So so we kind of had a side job, I guess it's an Airbnb. Yeah. Most. So it must've been a side hustle, but we didn't really even know what that word meant at that point. <laughs> <either>. <laughs> <laughs> it is interesting how
0: a lot of these terms are now kind of, they they crept outside of the personal finance space and are kind of getting into the everyday vernacular of, of, of other people, right? That these are the kinds of estate, becoming a real estate investor, having a side hustle. What is your fire number? All those kinds of terms are starting to become more common among everyone else, I guess I should say. Right. Capital
1: One strives to inspire a better financial path for everyone, including the LGBTQ community through access to credit, Tools to manage debt and product features. Digital products such as CreditWise and Eno are designed to take the stress out of money by helping you manage credit, a key source of potential stress, and stay on top of spending without worrying all the time. Sign up for CreditWise for free today. Heard a rumor about annuities? Cut out the noise by visiting Queer Money podcast sponsor Gainbridge at gainbridge.life to learn more. Just so I'm clear, so when did you start getting into real estate? What age, about?
3: we both started before we met each other owning houses, but I guess together it was 2011.
1: Gotcha. And it sounds like you've done a couple of different kinds of, of real estate investing, some flipping some rentals, some Airbnbs. Is that yep, correct?
2: That's correct.
1: Are you doing any real estate investing now, such as, you know, rental properties or Airbnbs that you're, that's throwing off income for you?
2: Yes. We have the, a rental property a townhouse in nashville that we bought when we were there that's rented out to like long-term tenants and then with the golden visa property that we're buying which is an apartment in lisbon portugal that pays us like a five percent yield per year so we're getting basically they. Get a rehab property in the situation we're doing, and then they fix it up and then they rent it out on Airbnb for you and pay you a flat percentage. But the Golden Beast is a lot, another topic, I guess we can tell <laughs> yeah. you more.
1: So it sounds like then, currently though, you have two properties. Is that right?
2: Correct. We have two that were actually is the majority of the money that we're living off of, that and some other savings that we kind of put away for this, because Jim's almost on the cusp of being able to take money out of his IRA. So we kind of needed money to bridge that gap. Gotcha. So so far to date though, you haven't touched retirement investments. Correct.
1: Wow. Were you able to articulate this when you were kind of sort of starting to, to, to save and prepare to retire? Did you set, set yourself a FIRE number or a net worth or monthly income stream that you had to reach before you said, finally, we're both going to quit our jobs?
2: I don't think so necessarily. I think we kind of were looking at you know what was what would our monthly bills be and then how much we had coming in and for probably 2 years I kind of kept spreadsheets of and tweaking it and being like, "Oh, well, how much do we eat out per month or how much do we this spend on this or spend on that?" and then kind of just did a side-by-side comparison of what we could hope to make. Off our rental properties and down the road off social security, off you know four percent of our IRA or whatever, but we had a very gen it was more about income stream than say, you know people that do straight fire that are just looking at I have a million in a portfolio and it pays four percent, and so I can live off forty thousand. It wasn't quite so much that it was more <clears throat> about a staggered if we wait and we spend a little bit now, and then we'll eventually get social security and just kind of progressing income stream wise, just through these different avenues that would come online in the future. Interesting. So it it sounds to me like at some point
0: you did get pretty intentional about wanting to be able to retire early from the jobs that were stressing you out. And you knew you had to spend some time to understand how much it was going to cost you to live where you wanted to live or have the lifestyle that you wanted to live and then kind of almost reverse engineered what, what you would do to get there. Is that right?
3: Yeah. Lou Lou has always been very good of keeping track of our monthly expenditures. So we did have like a general idea, idea probably of like the last 10 years of what we've spent per month. And, um, From there, we would kind of put together budgets of what we think it would take. And then we, like you said, reverse engineered from what our income streams are and savings to make it till, you know, I'm 59 and in two years, I'll be 59 and a half. So I can start taking from my IRA to help support, increase our budgets, I guess. Gotcha. More things will come on stream as Lou gets older and. Yeah. And
0: I will add, I think that's kind of the place that John and I are in. We, you know, we live very kind of lean, have a very lean budget right now, partly because we know that eventually when we retire and when we have, when we start accessing our retirement accounts, which will probably be in the next 10 years, unless we do some, some Roth strategies, we'll probably be in the same place that we'll get a big boost in our income from our retirement accounts but you know folks for those of you who are listening I think that there's a there's a really important point here that we t- we want to continue to share is that folks who have been able to get to the point of living the the lifestyle that they choose whether it's early retirement or some form of nomadic life it really is about being intentional and understanding where your money is coming from and how you want to end up spending it. And the more intentional you can be, the more you understand, the more you get rid of the idea that a budget is a four-letter word, the more you have the opportunity to really get this lifestyle that you want.
1: Exactly. And so I'm, I'm curious, it's one thing to say, I'm going to, we're going to quit our jobs, you know, soon in 10 years and five years, um, even next year. But it's another thing to say, like the the, the clock is ticking down. And in a couple weeks, even a couple months, we're actually we're actually doing this. Were there any adjustments that you sort of last minute adjustments that you had to make to your lifestyle to make yourselves feel comfortable to say, yes, we're actually going to go into the boss's office and and, and give our two week notice
0: <laughs> or middle finger <laughs>
1: or middle
2: finger. <foul. laughs> well, yeah, mine was kind of a middle finger actually. Like it was it was, it was kind of two weeks notice after. Fourteen years at a job, but I think the one big thing we did, which I think we can't stress enough, is that we basically got rid of all of the debt we had. We sold the one rental property we had in Palm Springs. We sold our house in Nashville that we were living in. We could have likely have rented them and have juggled those mortgages, but there was just something very unsettling about moving into non work life and not having a steady paycheck and still having thousands of dollars in mortgages even if you can have it leveraged and have someone pay for you which as we saw with covid all of a sudden you know you have these eviction moratoriums and people could likely not pay you for 18 months and then what would you do if you spent had $3000 a month in a mortgage it just right. that was really the one thing that we did That made it very easy to be like, okay, we really have literally zero, except for what we're putting out every month. We don't have any payments to anyone, no car payment, no mortgage payment. And it really puts you in a whole different mind frame because you're just exactly what your bill is that month and what you're eating and where you're going, where you're traveling is what you're spending on. How long
0: before you fired, before you quit your jobs? were you living like that? Or was that something you did right there, right close to the
2: time period when you were going to fire or after? I'd say it was within the six months before yeah. that right. we kind of downsized everything to be able to do it, mm-hmm. to gotcha. get rid of, of the, the debt. And it's, a, it's actually an amazing feeling because people, again, people talk about good debt and bad debt, pretty much every debt is bad debt. I don't I mean even it's great to have real estate with a mortgage and someone pay for it and it's honestly a play, a good way for people to make money, but at some point it does feel better to just not have that. Mm-hmm. Right. Not owe anyone a penny is like one of the best feelings you can have. I think that
0: one of the things you're pointing out there with the good debt and bad debt is does the debt cause you any sort of financial stress or uncomfortability right so if you're let's just say you've got real you're a real estate investor and you're bringing in ten thousand dollars a month and having a one thousand dollar a month mortgage that may not stress you out right but if you're bringing in $3000 a month and you've got a $1000 mortgage that may stress you out so it could it's the same same mortgage the same amount of debt same payment but it could it be look completely different to two different
3: people absolutely
1: so then, I'm wondering if, like Ali and Allison, of all options considered, are you guys in your spreadsheets every day calculating like what we can afford? You know, can we go out to where are we going to go out to eat here? What can we spend there? Are you are you pretty meticulous about it, or um, do you have a different strategy?
3: It's probably a monthly thing. We'll we'll look at what we did at the end of the month, see where we spent the money, and we kind of have buckets, you know, for travel and entertainment and groceries and housing. And so, and our dog has his own little bucket (laughs) (laughs) and he's always over budget. (laughs) Uh,
0: Something we are experiencing right now too.
1: (laughs) Yeah. The last three months in a row, I've gotten scolded for how much money the dogs have spent.
0: (laughs) It's not my fault. Let me ask you honestly, is life more fun now more enjoyable now than what it was when you were preparing for this or
3: uh, thinking about getting to this point? For sure. I mean, I'm sure it's way more fun during the pandemic doing what we're doing than what maybe other people are having to do. So we're pretty fortunate in that regard, but it's maybe not has, it hasn't been as exciting as we had hoped pre pandemic because we had a bunch of places we were planning on going that we had to cancel, and a lot of adjust, a lot of changes happened. But we still got to spend a big majority of twenty twenty in Europe and exploring Portugal, and twenty twenty one we got to spend a lot of time in Spain, so in Mexico. So we got to really enjoy a lot.
1: I'm curious so, for people who go to Portugal, are you also inspired to write an album and come out with a tour? Oh my God. <laughs> we
0: <laughs> always have to throw a Madonna reference into everything.
1: We, we just watched it. It was great. Everybody loved it.
2: <laughs> so uh, let's... We'll, we'll... Speaking of, <laughs> of spending for like, of how not to spend your money, though we overspent on Madonna tickets when we saw her. That was actually the last concert we saw <laughs> in 2019 before the pandemic hit. And we hadn't been to a concert in like, two years, right. something like that. Wow. Um, did you see her in Portugal? No, we actually saw her in LA and one of the last concerts she did. Right. Yeah, gotcha. I would want of definitely one of those Paula pants. What is it? You can have anything, but you can't have everything. right? So, and that's the other thing people need to know is you don't have to deprive yourself or be like, Oh, I'm living like a monk. It's just like, what you decide to spend your money on and what has value to you, and you know, making that decision to be like, Oh, well, I'd rather have a $40 lunch, you know, twice a week than an $80 dinner once a week, or whatever right. makes you happy. But we see people that don't have a lot of money overspending all the time, and it right. just seems like you know people will drop $100 to go to a dinner in America and not even think twice about it. Whereas $100 in most places outside of here will give you a four-star dinner or multiple lunches with wine and everything else. It's just, you you really see how Americans overspend when you leave the country mm-hmm. for right. an extended period of time.
0: Yeah, right. The conversation we're having right now kind of reminds me of... And I I want to attribute to Adam Carroll, a friend of ours, but I think other people have said this too. Are you willing to live for let's just say two years, like no one else will. So you can live the rest of your life like no one else can. Mm -hmm. And it really, I think for a lot of folks who have these opportunities now to live the fire lifestyle, to be nomadic, to do the travel, you oftentimes look at the adjustments that they made leading up to this, whether it was for a relatively short period of time, say, five years or for some people it may because of their income levels may have taken them 10 15 20 years to get to that point but they were able to adjust their life enough to i'm going to throw in another paula pant you know honestly i think paula gets as much out of our podcast or air on our (laughs) podcast than anybody but she always says spend less than you make and grow that grow that gap and then invest the difference, right? If you can grow that gap and invest the difference, you'll be able to have that lifestyle that you truly want. Yeah,
3: and so I think we shifted our way of thinking. And one thing, we shifted away from like acquiring things and really wanted to just acquire our freedom and our get our time back and have experiences that don't cost money. And I mean, that was really a change in my the way I thought about life, I think.
1: Yeah. I think it's profound to say, you know, you wanted to get your time back. And I think that's what a lot of people are giving up. Ultimately, right, we're working for a paycheck, but what you're really doing is exchanging time, right? Yeah. So every time you buy a new car or you go out to that $200 dinner here in the US, you know, you're that's more hours that you have to put in at work so you can pay that off if you don't already have, especially if you don't already have the cash to pay it going into it. And then, of course, everything compounds, which is sort of the reverse of, of investing. So I think it's really what you're, what you're doing is you're sort of reclaiming your time. And then you get to sort of architect the life that you want. I don't have to go into the office any, anymore and, and work for somebody who treats me like garbage. I don't have to deal with somebody else's expectations of what quality work should be or what I should be doing or even
2: what time I should show up. Absolutely, And I think people really do in America seem to, they work so hard and Without a goal or without like an end destination, which is an odd thing. I mean, we talk to people all the time that are 50 plus and have no idea when they're going to retire, what they're going to do. There's no goal. There's no plan. You can't get there without that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Until you have that, it's pretty hard to just be like, oh, well, how, when can you retire? Well, I'm not sure. I don't know how much I spend. So, I don't know how much I can make off of my investments. And without a plan, it's virtually impossible to do this
1: I think to that point, I think a lot of people have become conditioned to think that retirement isn't something you even think about until sixty five or you know maybe start thinking about it at sixty so you can retire at sixty five We've just been so conditioned to think that's the definition of it, you know so I don't need to have a plan. It's already been laid out before me from previous generations and how the entire system is is, is created. So I'm curious, architect in your own life, how did you pinpoint where you wanted to live and to what degree did uh, cost of living and the LGBTQ friendliness of where you decided to to land play into
2: that? I think that, I mean, the LGBTQ friendliness, I think is always in the back of our mind just because you automatically feel comfortable or not comfortable somewhere. (laughs) So I think that when we were looking at places usually we're, it feels like we don't like places that aren't gay friendly. So if, you know, there's certain places that we might want to visit for a little bit, but I wouldn't want to stay there long term because of, you know, just the overall politics of the country or the politics of the region or whatever. So I definitely think that when we went two times to Sitges and we were in Barcelona and spent time there, we were like, you know, this is the kind of city where we can see ourselves living. There's a lot of gay people. It's like small type village atmosphere, you know, it just seemed like a kind of place where we could definitely, you know, the same thing with Puerto Vallarta, you know, we like being by the ocean. We like the gay friendliness. Cause I think when a place is gay friendly, it kind of spills out into the regular population there. And it just, the whole city kind of has a different feel to us. The other thing
3: with the cost of living at Puerto Vallarta or in Sicha, Spain, was that the cost of living was much less than in the United States. And just going to the grocery store and going out to eat or buying some of the things we want to buy, it's, it's considerably less than in the United States. So that factored into being able to retire early when you spending that much time outside of the US.
0: And folks, that's probably the primary reason why we've asked James and Lou to come on the podcast is because of the, we got that question. We get this question a lot of of older individuals in the queer community are asking us, is there a place that I can go to? Are there gay-friendly places or queer-friendly places for me to live when I retire? I didn't plan ahead as much for retirement. So we kind of want to throw, this is not just about being able to retire early. It may be about retiring at the appropriate time for you and your finances, which for some folks may end up being when you're 62, 65, 70, but also being able to find a place to live that allows you to enjoy a quality of life at the income level that you are at. And so Answering, I think this is an important question to talk about. A lot of us want to be in a place where we feel safe and we feel comfortable, especially here in the U.S. Those places are becoming more and more and more expensive. And so what you were pointing out, and John and I found this to be the case too, when we were in c for three months, the amount of money that we spent on our daily necessities that were even I think up to level compared to what we would spend in the US when it came to how often we went out to eat, what kinds of foods we made at home, just the quality and the amount of wine that we drank, (laughs) all of that was significantly (laughs) cheaper in Seychelles than it was in where we were living in the US. So think outside of the US bubbles, whether it's outside of the bubbles inside the u s. or outside of the u s. itself when you're
2: thinking about where may be a good place to retire, I do think that people also they really need to go outside the u s. and travel before they like pull you know the trigger on, say, becoming nomads or just moving abroad because you really do have to check it out because we've, been talking recently to all these people saying, like, "Oh, yeah, we want to move to Portugal. I said, Have you ever been to Portugal? No, well, okay. you need to go there because you won't know what it's like until you get there. Right. Um, there's kind of like the dream of doing it and the reality of doing it. Mm-hmm. And I think that people, you know, not every day is going to be, you know, unicorns, unicorns and rainbows. So you do have to really just try it out and see what place would accommodate you and what you like. but I definitely think that you can have a much better lifestyle outside of the US, especially if you're talking about any of the gay hubs in you know, in the US, if you're talking about Miami or LA, San Francisco, New York, I mean, those are like some of the most expensive cities in the world that it's not easy for someone to early retire in those kinds of places.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
2: Even Palm Springs has become
3: as expensive as LA. Right. We're getting there. Absolutely. So I'm curious,
1: what made you decide to pick Portugal as? I think have you still landed on Portugal being a main hub for you?
3: We're doing the golden visa through Portugal, so we have um, the apartment that's going to be a a rental that will give us the golden visa. The golden visa in Portugal is um, basically it's a residency citizenship by by an investment program, and so you gain residency and the visa approval to qualify for citizenship after five years. So there's definitely different than like an expat becoming a resident of Portugal where you have to move there and live there for a long time. Like I think it's 10 months out of the year with the golden visa. You really only have to spend one week per year to qualify for the program, Mm -hmm. but you have to make the investment, which we're doing like in a, an apartment, that's a rehab apartment that's being built now.
0: And I'll throw in there for, for folks who aren't familiar with golden visa, there are other countries that have the golden visa, but specifically in that part of Europe, you cannot be in, um, I think it's tw- there's a 26 country region. You can't be in the region for more than 90 days out of every 180-day period, and they can't be back-to-back, right? So you couldn't go to Europe in a lot of countries and stay there for 180 days out of 360. It has to be 90 and then a 90-day break and then 90 and then a 90-day break, which can be complicated if you're trying to establish a routine and a definition of where your finances are by living in one location, right? So really what the golden visa does is it opens up the opportunity for you to either say, we're going to stay in Europe for an extended period of time, or I'm going to stay in this particular city for the next two or three years. And so that's what this kind of opens up to you, right? Correct.
2: Now, the one thing people have to realize, though, which is another big thing that people don't think about is the whole tax residency situation. And as soon as you become a tax resident or like a permanent resident somewhere, all of a sudden you're become, you know, it's like a global citizen. So pretty much every country is going to tax you on a hundred percent of your worldwide income if you're a permanent resident. So, The other thing with the golden visas, you can be there for three months and leave and come back and not become a tax resident. Because once you become a tax resident in Western Europe, there's a lot of complications and very high rates. And it gets to be another difficult thing, which is one reason why people may want to consider, at least at the beginning, being nomadic. Because if you're nomadic, you get treated like a Tourists, which is basically your best situation because then no one really has you in their tax net except the US if you're a US citizen. But that's something people really need to consider because, you know, Portugal, for example, you know, the tax rate goes up to 48%, even at about 80,000 euros of, of income per year. And you don't have to even make a lot for it to progressively get very high. So the taxes are definitely a consideration. But if someone wants to just go for three months and then go to England for three months and Croatia for three months, you're never going to get into the tax situation with those countries. Nice. We all
0: know that those taxes really can erode your ability to be able to retire in a place that's comfortable, right? If you're having to pay anywhere from 25, 30, 40, almost 50 percent of your income to taxes, then what you can afford to live off of really gets cut down. Correct.
1: Were you looking looking to go over to Portugal or anywhere else in Europe or I guess anywhere else in the world to help lower the cost of healthcare and other expenses that tend to go up as you age?
2: Well, that was part of our strategy, too, is that by not being permanent U.S. residents that you know, we ended up with getting a healthcare policy that's really good for the whole world. And their classification is basically the world, including the U.S., and then the world excluding the U.S. So as soon as you get into U.S. healthcare, it all gets very expensive. So we actually did get the worldwide policy. So we can be in the U.S. up to six months, but we're trying to be here a lot less than that. But that healthcare situation was a big concern. And I know people are worried about when you leave the US that it's going to be not as good. And I find it to be better. We've actually had better healthcare in Portugal and better doctors who do more tests and do more things at a cheaper rate, even when we have to pay for things out of pocket. So that is definitely something we thought about.
3: And their English, The our doctors speaks. Wonderful English. And so we've never had any communication problems.
0: I think a lot of the fears, what you're saying is a lot of the fears that people have can be myths in their mind, right? When it comes to healthcare, when it comes to taxes, when it comes to living in these locations, we have a lot of myths in our mind or have heard stories, and those can be dispelled if you kind of tap into the community of people who are already doing this or have experienced it and find out what is working. Definitely.
1: So how has the pandemic and Portugal's somewhat slow visa process <laughs> been for you guys? Cause it seems like it's, if I, the math, my, my math is correct. You were pretty much, you weren't retired for very long and being nomadic for very long before the pandemic swept through the world.
3: No, cause we retired. We went to Portugal March of 2020. So we had about two weeks yeah. before it was starting to get the lockdown over there. Definitely hit Europe first. So we were experiencing it before the US. Well, yeah, we originally were planning on traveling like one month to Portugal, one month to Italy, Greece, Sicily, and Siches, and Florence, too. I, maybe not Greece. So all those had to be canceled. And we ended up, because we had the Portuguese residency through the Golden Visa, we were able to just stay in Portugal the whole time. And we, Ended up renting a car and we were able to travel around the whole country and see lots of things that we weren't planning on seeing. So we went down to the Algarve and spent a couple months by the ocean down there and then went up to the mountains up north and visited the Doro Valley and did some things that we weren't planning on doing. So it worked out kind of nice.
0: That's awesome. So let let me just say, when I hear you say, oh, well, we were going to spend a month in Portugal and we were going to spend a month in Spain and maybe a month in Italy. All of a sudden, I hear a lot of people, especially folks who I think maybe not at the point where they have or understand or are working towards FIRE, maybe rolling their eyes and saying, oh, this is the lifestyle of the rich and famous, right? You guys obviously (laughs) are staying in five-star hotels and laying on the beach and drinking lots of cocktails and shopping at all the high-end places. Why don't you frame for us what that looked like? What was your daily life in these kinds of travels or what would your daily life had been like if you had been able to get to these places with the pandemic preventing that?
2: Well, I think that people do assume that if you're nomadic or you travel a lot, especially if you slow travel, that your life is a vacation and it is very different because even now when we, if we meet people somewhere and they're on vacation and we show up there, it's feels weird because, you know, we don't want to go out to a restaurant every single day or three times a day. Like you don't live necessarily like you're on vacation. You live like just your normal life and go to a regular grocery store and, you know, do your regular things, walk the dog and have, basically live a normal life. And you don't, you're not living this kind of life where you're just like, you know, parasailing every day and going on (laughs) tours and things. That's just not how people really live. So it's more like you just, you're living just like a regular life. And of course, we're staying in Airbnbs and there's challenges with that. And Airbnbs have every single option from the cheapest place. You rent one single room to you rent a mansion. So that's really dependent on the person and what they can afford and what they can do. But, you know, there's plenty of people that do this on a lot lower budget than we have. And you don't have to have, you know, an extreme budget to be able to travel, especially internationally. It's a lot cheaper. I mean, we
3: take advantage of renting a place for a month at a time, you'd get the discounts that people will give you for a monthly rental. So that really helps a lot.
0: Yeah. I think that's one of the big points. Well, actually, I think you you hit a couple of big points here. When it comes to this kind of living abroad and slow travel lifestyle, when we were in Sitges, we basically spent $1,100 a month on our accommodations. Mm -hmm. I know people who will spend $1,100 in less than a week staying at a beachfront hotel, Mm -hmm. right? And then you mentioned this whole idea of not dropping money on dining out for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, but spending the money on just kind of the normal way of life, cooking at home from time to time or more often, but still being able... I know folks who will go out to eat every single night when they go or every single day when they go on vacation and will drop another thousand mm-hmm. dollars. And when we were living in Sitges, we were able to eat for the whole month, basically on less than $500, including dining out. And so if you're listening and you're thinking about These are the kinds of strategies. These are the kinds of things that you want to kind of factor into this idea of, do I want to live in a place that's LGBT friendly and costs a whole lot less? Yes, I do, because my lifestyle will kind of stay the same and maybe even be greater than what it is right now. But it's also not going to be the lifestyle, the rich and famous, or the kind of travel that I think a lot of people assume that you're doing when you're traveling overseas. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I think that's completely right. I mean, there's moments of it being really difficult. I mean, we've been at Airbnbs that don't have a colander to make pasta. And I mean, you like, (laughs) you know, every, right. Every place we've had to buy our own knives and do different things. So, I mean, it's definitely not a lifestyle for everyone. Like not everybody is adventurous and a lot of people just want to stay in one place and they like, that kind of a life and just, you know, they live their life and then they go on vacation. Whereas we're not really on vacation. We're just like living in a mobile type way. And I think it's a lot different. But when we came back to in the US, like we're driving across the US and we go to a McDonald's drive through and it's $24, like a hamburger, a soda and a fry for two people. And we're thinking like $24, geez, we could have like, I mean, we went to a place in it was rural Portugal, mind you, but you know, we had lunch for four people and they do these like seven dollar all inclusive or seven euro all inclusive meals. And the bill came out 30 euros for four people. And I thought it was when he said, Oh, thirty dollars, I thought it was just the two of us. And he was like, No, that's for all four of you. And I was like dumbfounded. And I was right. like, Well, we had a three-course meal with a dessert and a beer, like or a glass of wine, like, you know, they include Because the alcohol is so cheap too, in certain parts of Europe, at least in Portugal and Spain, it's incredibly cheap to drink wine and things like that.
0: It is just it's an adjustment and in reality, right, of what things can and should cost. I think the advantages you can avail yourself of when you get outside of the mainstream idea of where you need to live or where you need to be to be safe and have fun. So
1: wrapping up, what advice or motivation can you give to other LGBTQ folks who think that fire or retiring abroad as options for them? What, what, how would you maybe inspire them or, or point them in the right direction?
3: I think the first thing we came up with for that is um, just beware of lifestyle creep, that if you get a raise in promotions in your job to not just increase your
2: spending and try and save money... I think for younger people too, I think, I mean, it might sound silly, but I think you have to be careful who you're friends with and (laughs) you have to be able to say no to people. Like, you know, even now people say, do you want to go to dinner? And we say, no, like it's too expensive for what we're doing right now. And we're just gonna, you know, go home and have something like you have to be willing to you know, be that person that says, no, I'm not going to the happy hour. or I'm not going to that concert because it's $400 for the ticket. Like you have to be able to say no to people and not be embarrassed about that. And I think it's a really hard thing for people in the gay world to do.
0: So what you're saying is that the next time John wants to get tickets to Madonna, I can say no. (laughs) No. (laughs) Do you want a happy marriage?
2: (laughs) That's the one (laughs) exception. Thank you.
0: (laughs) I do think you bring up a really good point here. and, And that is, it was an interesting statistic that came out. This was a Credit Karma study that happened. It came out in 2020. That 48% of millennials said that they were spending money that they didn't have to keep up with their friends. And I think that this is a very common thing. I know that John and I fell victim to this, and I think it's self-victimization here, but we fell victim to this of let's just let's just have one more mimosa, or after the happy hour, let's go out to dinner. And and not being able to say no to your friends or to some folks in your group or you're in your community can have a detrimental impact on your finances and we need to be as a community I think we need to be really forgiving and give people grace when they say no I'm sorry I'm not going to join you we know don't need to, we shouldn't be badgering people we don't know what their financial situation is and we right. should just allow people to say no it should be 100% freeing for someone to say you know what i've got
2: financial goals and i'm not going to join you tonight thank you though right yeah i think that's very hard for people because people there is a lot of peer pressure to you know not be a party pooper and always go out and you know let's go shopping and let's buy a new car and you know especially in a lot of the gay cities, you know, in LA and these different places where, you know, people drive Rolls Royces and BMWs and Ferraris. Now it's to the point where those cars are not even anything fancy. Now people have a hundred thousand dollar custom paint job on their $300,000 car. Like you just can't keep up with the Joneses because the level has gone so outrageous in the U S that you're, you'll be miserable. Like if you can't, tear down your life to try to be a little more simple, it's very hard. Because you're always going to be, you know, chasing the dragon of having affluent things. And it, you know, it's not any better. It's not. And that's one thing we really learned being in Portugal where, you know, you go to these to store and there's a three or $4 ball of wine and you're like, oh, let's try that. And it's actually good. Whereas here we're like, oh no, that, you know, we had to spend fifteen dollars on a bottle of wine because it's not going to be any good. Like you have this mindset of, if it's less expensive, it's not good, and that's it. Really flips your perspective when you go outside the U.S. and you're like, it's not all about what you spend. It's, you know, the quality of the thing you have. Mm-hmm. Right,
1: a hundred percent. Everything that we experienced while we were over there. Um, yeah. That makes me sad that we're not going back in time soon. (laughs) (laughs) I think this has been profoundly helpful for those in our community, our listeners who are thinking about uh, what retirement options do I have, whether I want to retire earlier or whether I want to retire, you know, at 65 um, or next year. So how can our listeners keep track of you or where can they keep track of you if they want to at all?
2: We don't have any, I'm not even on social media. I don't even have Facebook. That's how. That's that's a whole nother episode. That's (laughs) actually a good way to, you know, people, if they get away from social media, that's the other thing that we've, I mean, we were going to do Instagram and all this stuff, but the whole look at me, look at me culture is another problem of like, oh, look at me in front of the Alpha Tower. Look at me in front of the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Like you need to do things for yourself and just enjoy it and take a picture that no one will ever see. Yeah, Like, don't I would... worry about it so much. Like <laughs> People are obsessed. And I mean, it's just, I just can't do it. I mean, myself. And I know it's a great marketing tool and things like that, but there's things about social media that they're, I mean, social media is one of the reasons why it, there's been such a prolific or proliferation of people needing to keep up with the Joneses Ooh. or keep up with the Kardashians or whatever it is. Like, um, <laughs> that it's just, I'll give a plug for our friends though, with Tim and Amy
3: at Go With Less. That might be somewhere to follow people like us. They're the Go With Less Nomadic Travel and Early Retirement. That's a Facebook group they have that I'm part of. Sometimes I'll post a few things on there where we're at.
1: Yeah, they have a great Facebook group and they have a great YouTube channel. So yeah. definitely check them out. They're good friends of ours as well. They've been super helpful and inspiring for us. And actually, that's how we got connected to you two. Right. Oh, yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> exactly. So, Amy is. Probably one of the biggest drag queen fans oh, outside of the gay community that I have ever
1: seen. <laughs>
2: That's awesome. Yeah, she loves the
1: community. So, Lou and Jim, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We appreciate it. I think this has been great for our audience and uh, can't wait to hear what the feedback is.
0: Oh boy. Great. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. All right,
1: thanks. Make sure to check out more ways that Capital One can help you achieve financial well-being at capitalone.com. That's Capital One. Dot com. Thank you for listening to another episode of Queer Money. Here's your Queer Money takeaway from this episode. Yes, there are affordable, super queer-friendly places for LGBTQ people to retire. Finding them, though, just takes more research and more work than what the general population must do. So be honest with yourself. Start doing the homework. Start thinking of where you want to settle. Estimate its cost and save and invest your money accordingly. It's cliche, and we shouldn't necessarily have to do it, But we do. So do it. Now have a great week, and we'll talk with you next week. From Los Angeles, California to Winooski, Vermont, we're taking queer money on the road. Join us as we gamify personal finance with Queer Money Bingo or catch our signature live fabulously, not fabulously broke talk and so much more in between. Check out queermoneypodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player regularly for date and location updates.